Dear Founder, as you know, there's no blueprint for entrepreneurship. You wear so many hats, you burn the midnight oil, you pour your heart and soul into everything that you do. But without a doubt, the journey is worth every single second that you put into it. I'm Lindsay Pinchuk, host of the Dear Founder podcast. I say this because I've lived it for over a decade. I started my first company with $500 in my pocket and a baby in my belly. I grew it and I sold it all. This podcast is my weekly letter to you. We'll talk all things starting, growing, nurturing, and in some cases, even selling a business. Together with some of my closest contacts, I'm here to help you find your own success, whatever that means to you. The ride as a founder is the ride of your life. So come on in and join me for another episode that will get you one step closer to reaching your own founder goals. I'm so excited to introduce you to today's guest, Jessica Mandel, founder of Jessica's Natural Foods. But before I do, I want to make sure that you've checked out the Dear Founder Valentine's Day gift guide. Not only are we sharing over 40 gifts we love from female-founded brands we love even more, we're also giving away over $1,500 in prizes straight from the gift guide itself. Make sure to check out today's show notes or visit lindsaypinchuk.com to enter to win. Like I said, I'm very excited about today's guest. Jessica Mandel is not only the founder of Jessica's Natural Foods, but also my longtime friend, a camp friend. And for those of you who went to summer camp, you know just how special summer camp friends are. But about 10 years ago, Jessica reached out to me to sample her new granola at my company's events. It was a hit amongst everyone, especially my kids who couldn't stop filling their cups up. Jessica's Granola has developed a cult following, and if you haven't tried it, you honestly must. We go through numerous bags, plural, a week in my household. But here we are 10 years later, and as of 2022, I'm really excited to share that you can now find Jessica's Natural Foods Granola nationally at Whole Foods stores, which is a huge accomplishment. Her artisan granola, handmade in small batches, is also available at Wegmans, Tops, Shaw's, Gordon Food Services, and more. Jessica's built an amazing brand backed by an even more amazing product all on her own. When she reached out to me to help her with a project earlier this year, I told her of course, but only if she stepped outside her comfort zone and let me interview her for an episode of Dear Founder. Jessica's story is one of tenacity and persistence and one every business owner must hear. So come on in. I can't wait for you to meet my friend, Jessica Mandel. All right. Today on Dear Founder, we have a friend of mine, Jessica Mandel, who is the founder of Jessica's Natural Foods. And I will say Jessica and I go way back. We went to camp together. And I would probably say about 10 years ago when I was first starting Bump Club, Jessica reached out to sample her granola at our events. And we would have her granola out on tables at events and everyone would just be filling their cups with this granola and eating it all day long. And my kids were included in that. And so that is really when I was first introduced to Jessica's products. And now fast forward, I've been helping her with some consulting work and we really are working to get the word out because I have to say Jessica's granola is the best granola you will ever eat. And we go through bags of it, bags, plural, every week in my house. So. Jessica, welcome to your dear founder. Thank you so much for inviting me. I appreciate it. Of course. You have a fantastic story. And like so many entrepreneurs, you started this company out of necessity 
and you started it out of your house. And I would love for you to share your story with the listeners because it is one that I think resonates with so many and so many can learn from. Oh, thank you. So yeah, I started my business, it's hard to believe, 12 and a half years ago. Um, I started the company because my husband was gluten intolerant, couldn't find any gluten-free oat-based granolas. So I started making it for him. Um, I used to make regular granola before he went gluten-free. I just loved baking and doing stuff like that in my free time. And my husband said, you know, there's no gluten-free granolas on the market. Why don't you try and sell this? And so I started kind of handing out little snack bags to friends and family. And everybody's like, yeah, this, you really should sell this. I was like, you know what? Life's too short. Why not try? So 12 and a half years ago, I quit my job and figured, you know what? Why not try to sell my granola and see what happens? So I've been really fortunate. And to my knowledge, I was the first gluten-free oat-based granola on the market. So tell us a little bit about how it was that you started to sell your granola. I love the story about where you took the granola first, because like you, I grew up in Detroit and I, and I know all of your key players and all of your longtime partners. So I would love for for you to share with our audience kind of what that looked like when you first took the granola out. So, yeah. So when I first started, I made a small test batch. I did like 300 bags of each flavor. I really had no idea if anybody would buy it. Um, it was back in 2009 when the economy was terrible, so it was a little scary of a time to start, but places were really interested in supporting Michigan-made uh, companies. So I went and I took samples and I went to my local stores, um, ones near my house, Market Square, um, Holiday Market, and I'll never forget the story that I gave samples to Holiday Market and the buyer was so nice. He's like, great, I'll take a case of each. And I was like, um, um, what? I didn't have granola with me. I had to go back to my warehouse, um, get granola. I had no idea how to create an invoice. I had to Google um, how to create an invoice in QuickBooks. And then I went back the next day and delivered it. And it was just really, really exciting to kind of have that first store kind of believe in you and on the spot say that they would try it. And then kind of once you had one store, you can kind of build from there and be like, oh, you know, Holiday's carrying it. And then another store is like, sure, I'll try it. So So obviously, though, once Holiday started carrying your granola, you had to get a little bit more legit in terms of packaging and a logo and kind of all those things that come with your brand. How did you how did you do that? And how did you how did you know how to do it? So, yeah, you know, it was a lot of, um, again, Google searches. Um, I hired a graphic designer to do the packaging design that I found that had experience with packaging design and ended up being a nightmare design ended up looking like coffee and I tried to give them feedback and it just felt like they just weren't hearing me. So I ended up um, switching to somebody new, a local amazing graphic designer, but it was scary. It was my first mistake. I hadn't even launched yet and I'd already made a mistake, hired um, a graphic designer and the new one ended up being amazing. I did stickers on my bag, being a startup. Um, That way you could make changes easier and it was less costly than a printed bag. And so um, I just kind of learned as I went and really kind of did as much research as I could. So when Holiday started carrying your granola, what was the response and how quick were they reordering? And when was it that you were like, okay, like I have something here and people love it because they do. And I'm not just saying that, you know, I mean, I, even before I started working with you, I told you, I mean, we love your granola. We eat it for snack in my house. It's not just like a breakfast and yogurt, which I just had an hour ago. I mean, it's like, it's an everyday thing in my mm-hmm. house. So when was it that you knew, okay, like now I, I need to kind of like buckle down and get serious. And, and were you still making it from your house at the time? 
So in the state of Michigan, when I started, we weren't allowed to cook in our house. So I had to write from the beginning, started making it in a gluten-free commercial kitchen. So at least that transition was easier when I was scaling up. I was able to just kind of produce more at a time. Um, but yeah, you know, it's a good question. I got into the holiday. I got into Market Square, some other stores. Um, I think when Hillers, what used to be Hillers Market, they had eight stores, picked it up. And Plum Market, which I think at the time had three stores picking it up, picked it up. Um, that felt like a huge step because finally I was in maybe like 20, 25 stores, which isn't a lot, but the time felt um, amazing. And the people were kind of starting to know about it more. And the stores, like you said, were reordering. So um, it was just kind of incremental growth. And um, it was just really exciting. And I think weirdly enough, um, English Gardens, I'd met her at a demo and the lady who's... Was so I just want to say English Gardens is like a gardening store. I mean, it's not a food store. So that I just want to say for... I know what English Gardens is because right. I grew up going there every spring to get my mom's planters with her. But so th- this that's like a departure from a normal food store. It was a departure. And like the lady, she was like a family member, loved the granola. So I started selling it in like eight of their stores for a period of time. So it was just kind of feeling that momentum of people, just kind of the positive feedback. And like you said, the reorders. And so I just kind of kept going from there, just kind of approaching more stores and growing. Were you doing demos in the stores at the at the same time? Or were they just selling your granola? So I was doing both. I mean, I was trying to do some demos too, because I had no brand awareness. So I would go to local stores um, and do some sampling and things like that too. And I ask that because you have a product that legitimately you try once and you become a lifelong customer. You, it's, it's the truth. Like, you know, I, I think it's very easy to look at a shelf with like all the granolas on it and, you know, make a, just a, a willy nilly decision based on price in that moment or whatever it is. But honest, honest to God, I mean, when you eat your granola, you love it. And if it's one of the options, I buy it. And I will say my Whole Foods was sold out of two of the three flavors the other day when I was there. But, um, you know, so I, I do think that like sampling and trying is is a very a trial is a very big important part of what you do. So like, have you found that and kind of how have you navigated that being such a small lean company? Yeah, no, that's a great question. When I first started, I did all my own demos. Um, I used to go around to the local stores, do demos by myself, um, Saturdays and Sundays. But then as I got bigger and started a family that wasn't realistic, so I kind of paired them back. But definitely in the beginning, I kind of did a lot of my own samples. And it's also great to get that customer feedback of kind of people's opinions and thoughts. I mean, I never actually changed my formula. I've had the same formula since I started. But I've heard from other companies that it's great to kind of get that customer feedback. And it was helpful, too, even for me to kind of hear what people are asking about, what people like, what's selling, things like that. So you don't just have granola. And I want to make that very clear. And I know I'm partial to your granola, but... You don't just have granola, you have other products too. So I would love for you to kind of share what those products are with our listeners and then how it is that you got to, you know, extending your brand into other products outside of what you were doing from the start. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I do, I did launch um, an organic syrup that I had for many years. I actually, unfortunately, discontinued it over the summer because of COVID. I couldn't get the battles anymore and the cost had increased so much. But I do also have... Um, a line of gluten-free flour and mixes. 
And the reason I created those is for a while we had our kids on a, all my products were kind of based on a family need. So the granola was kind of based on my husband being gluten intolerant. The strawberry syrup was based on my daughter not liking to drink milk. Um, and then I started the flour mixes because we had our kids on a gluten-free diet for a period of time. And we were concerned about um, too much rice, whereas um, articles talking about arsenic and rice and that you shouldn't have uh, rice in like every meal of the day. So I wanted to create a really nutrient-dense um, flour blend. So the first ingredient is teff flour, which is an ancient grain, and then oat flour. So it's really kind of like a whole equivalent of like a whole wheat flour in terms of its fiber and nutri nutrients, um, but you can be used as a substitute as a one-for-one -one for a white flour in a recipe. And then I was kind of working on that and I was experimenting with the flour to see how it worked. I ended up making cake and cookies and muffin. And I was like, wow, you know, I think I should make mixes out of these too. So it just kind of um, happened. So that's kind of a great product that we launched. Um, maybe did anyone help you with the formulas for these? I mean, or like, how did you like, or was it something that you created like in your commercial kitchen and then replicated? So, yeah, you know, I created the recipes in my house because it was um, easier and just kind of tweaked them. So, like, when I started with the granola, I would make tons of batches of granola. I would number little baggies, like one, two, three, hand them out to friends, family. Everybody would kind of comment back which one they liked the better, think like the best, things like that. And I just kept making, like, hundreds and hundreds of batches, just keep collecting feedback so based on what they liked the best from one batch. Then I would try multiple variations. I think it's the engineering in me. I love to kind of tweak things and kind of see if you adjust this a little bit, what happens? What if you add a little more coconut? What if you add a little more cinnamon? So I really kept trying different variations till um, I perfected it. And kind of the same thing. You know, I think I love that you said that because you were doing your own market research. You weren't hiring a market research company. I mean, but you were doing the research and you were mm -hmm. listening to your customer. And mm -hmm. so, you know, how has your customer and their opinions helped you to form what it is that you're bringing them over the years? Yeah. You have a very dedicated customer. Yes. No, we're very fortunate. You know, um, so for instance, like our cherry art, the first three flavors I launched were the chocolate chip, um, the, cause I love chocolate, the vanilla maple, and then almond cherry. Cause I love, um, Michigan dry cherries being from Michigan and the combination of the crunchy and the sweet. But, um, when I was visiting the stores, they'd always be like, you should have a no nut flavor. We want a flavor with just fruit, no nuts. So that was kind of the inspiration for my cherry and berry. And then my husband's like, well, I don't really like fruit in my granola. I just want nuts. <laughs> so that's what kind of inspired my pecan almond. So everything was kind of based on either family store customer feedback, um, in terms of kind of creating new flavors. So I want to kind of fast forward because you are not just a Michigan based brand. And yet that's all we've discussed so far. I mean, you are now sold nationally in many retailers. And as of 2022, you will be national at Whole Foods, which is huge. So congratulations. Yeah. I, I mean, it's huge. And that is a very big feat. And I know, and I, and I'm, I want to share this because I want people to know and understand getting your product into Whole Foods is not just like going to one national buyer. Whole Foods has regions and you have to sell to the different regional buyers and get them to pick it up. So it's kind of like you're selling to how many regions do they have? Like 10? 11 or something. Yeah. So you have, it's like, even if you're sold nationally at Whole Foods, you've had to sell into 10 or 11 different buyers and essentially, you know, people who are keeping the gate, you know, the gatekeepers. So I'd love for you to kind of tell us and share with us what was that moment that you did go from being a Michigan brand to a national brand? And 
who was your first big customer? How did you get into Whole Foods? And kind of what did that look like? So, yeah, you know, um, 12 years ago when I started, I had the advantage that there were no gluten-free oat-based granolas on the market. So I went to my local Whole Foods and said, you know, there's nothing like this available. Um, So they were interested, fortunately, in carrying it. And I was really lucky. It was like my local Whole Foods that I shopped at. Um, And initially, I couldn't get into the store because their insurance requirements were so high. And as a small business, I just couldn't afford it. So um, a few months later, I was able to come back. I was able to afford the insurance. I got into some local stores, some Michigan stores. Um, Eventually, I was able to become, like what you're talking about, I was able to become regional in the Midwest. Um, And then I grew and got regional, I think, in the Northeast and just kind of grew like that. And at some point, Whole Foods, I think after like four or five regions, you're considered a national vendor. So then if you want to grow into more regions, it's kind of the decision of the national buyer. So they would kind of look at your sales and kind of make decisions. So it's really been like a slow um, process. I mean, it's been my dream since when I started 12 and a half years ago to be nationwide in Whole Foods. So it's really cool to finally achieve that goal. I know some companies get there in like a year or whatnot, but I kind of grew slow and steady and... Um, but let's yeah. not discount that because Jessica, you are totally self-funded and you bootstrap, you have bootstrapped and been bootstrapping this business from the ground up. And so to get it to a place where you've been able to do that and fund it and all of the things necessary, you know, you talk about insurance and then you talk about demos because you have to do demos at Whole Foods. Like that's part of their their process. There's all these different factors and costs that go into this. But you did this on your own and like you were not backed by a General Mills or a Kellogg's or, you know, some of these other like organic, gluten free, you know, brands that are part of a bigger parent company. You did this, you. And that is what I think is like the most important thing to be proud of here because you are sold in all the Whole Foods stores now and you did it. No one else. True. No, thank you. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. The landscape's changed a lot. When I first started, obviously I own my business hundred percent, but um, private equity isn't like, wasn't like how it is now where it's so common that most food companies seek private equity and investments and things like that. When I started, it, I guess the industry wasn't as exciting. And so um, I just kind of did it on my own and kind of, as you said, just kind of grew one step at a time. And I'm grateful because I don't have anybody telling me what I have to do. I don't have to cut quality. I can, like I said, I haven't changed my formulas. I create the highest quality product, handmade in small batches. And I'm able to do, do that because, um, it's my product. So where do you produce it now? So yeah, we make all of our granola is handmade in a gluten-free, um, artisan bakery. So the facility is dedicated gluten-free, uh, the facility doesn't use any peanuts, but we don't promote our product as peanut-free just because for gluten-free, for instance, we do a ton of testing. We test the raw ingredients of the oats. We test the finished product where for peanuts, we don't do any testing, even though there's no peanuts in the um, product or the facility. So yeah, it's. And I, you know, I'd love for you to explain, because I know you've explained to me so many times, but you know, there are other quote gluten-free granolas on the market, but you are really the only one who's made in a dedicated gluten-free facility. Is that correct or no? I don't know. I'm sure there's some, I'm sure there's probably some that are made dedicated. There's different levels. I mean, some people are dedicated gluten-free facilities. Some are gluten-free certified because I was kind of basing it on um, a need. I really 
created, like we use certified gluten-free oats, we test the oats, and then the facility is a dedicated gluten-free. So there's different levels. There's definitely now, it seems like most of the granolas on the market are gluten-free um, and probably- But it was very know. important to you to have the highest mm-hmm. level and quality of gluten-free to stand behind your brand. Exactly. But the irony now is probably most of my customers aren't gluten-free, kind of like you. They just enjoy the granola, the clusters and the flavor. So, um, but it, and it doesn't, I mean, you don't have to be gluten-free to eat no, it because it is the best. I mean, it is, it is so good. I know I've, I'm like plugging you away here, but I, I mean, I love, I, you know, I love your product. Um, so, okay. I want to go back to the, the retailer for a minute. So we're talking about Whole Foods. And then where else are you sold and how did you get into those retailers? Because you you don't just have Whole Foods. I mean, you're sold in a lot of places. So yeah, no, we've been really lucky. We're sold at Wegmans. Um, we're sold at Tops Market. We're sold at Natural Grocers, Heinen's. Uh, we recently got into Gordon Food Service. We're expanding to Shaw's this month. Um, we'll be expanding to Albertsons um, out west, I think, next month um, to a few some of their um, more specialty stores. So yeah, we've been really fortunate to grow um, and hope to continue to do so. You know, I know that you've talked to me very candidly about just, you know, the some of your challenges, which, you know, I know a lot of them are like marketing and communications based. And a lot of that has been really just because of your skill set, right? And like, that's like, you are a producer and you are an operations person, you are an engineer, that is your background. So, you know, and, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs, when you ask them things like this, like what I'm about to ask you, you know, it makes sense, right? Like my biggest challenge in business is operations and finance, because I am not good at that, but I am good at marketing and sales. So, you know, what has been your biggest challenge and how are you trying to solve it? Yeah, How have think, you tried to solve it? Yeah, I do um, agree with you. I think my biggest challenge is brand awareness. I think after being in business 12 years, I think most people don't know who my granola is. Um, and as you mentioned, I'm not a great marketer. I tend to be kind of a shy person. I didn't say you weren't a great marketer. That's well, not what I said. That's what you said. I said your strength was in it within engineering and product design and operations. So... No, thank you. But I mean, just like looking at myself. Um, I understand. I'm teasing you. Um, I don't like putting myself out there. Marketing can be a challenge for me. So I think that's been my hardest hurdle is the um, increasing brand awareness and getting into more retailers. And even years back, like there was a local company that's no longer around. And I think the Detroit News or Detroit Free Press was at some grand opening. And they're like, who are you? I know this competitor's granola. And she was just so much better at just kind of networking and getting herself out there. So um, that's why I'm hoping to have your help with that. (laughs) But she's not around anymore. And you are, which I think speaks to probably the quality and the taste of the product, right? I mean... You can't argue with quality and taste. That is that is an, a non-negotiable. Like you just you can't argue with that. So the fact of the matter is, is to your point, you do use the best ingredients. You have one of the best quality products out there, and it's really just getting people to try it. I mean, I know that when people try your product, hands down, they're like, "This is awesome." Yeah. No. Thank right? you. Mm-hmm. So, um, what is on the horizon for you in the future? Like, what like what are some of the things that you're you're planning and what are some of the things that you're hoping? Yeah. So, you know, it's a good question. I'm always trying to grow, expand into more stores. 
um, increase brand awareness right now, you know, with COVID, there's always new challenges that are throwing at you. So you're trying to have your long-term goals and then your immediate kind of issues and challenges. So it's usually a combination of um, both. So what is your ultimate goal and dream for this brand? Yeah, I mean, I think my ultimate goal is to have it be a recognized name that most people have just heard of it. Like everybody's heard of Annie's, everybody's heard of Amy's kind of in the natural space. So I'd love to kind of be a brand. Everybody's heard of RX Bar. I'd love to kind of be like a household name in the more specialty food market. That would be amazing. Right. So obviously you bootstrapped this and have you thought about getting funding? Have you thought about taking on an investor, raising capital? Is this something that's entered your mind or is it, are you happy the way that it is keeping it just as yours? So that's a really, really great question with a long answer. So I have looked into funding. I've tried to get funding and I've kind of done this self-evaluation and realized that the truth is, is I love having a small business. I love being able to have the flexibility that I can um, have a family work, be home with the kids when I need to with COVID. So as much as I love the idea of being some huge, huge company at the same time, I love being a small company and kind of being able to make those decisions myself. So it's kind of been a conflict, but at the same time, I feel like I've kind of made peace. So I still want to be a household name, but it could be another 20 years. So do you think if the right, if the right person or right partner approached you, you would ever sell Jessica's? Possibly. I mean, if there was somebody who came along who could, because I've had people who are interested, but they didn't necessarily, they weren't in the food industry. So if somebody came along, they had the right skill set that could really help take it to um, another level and really has the experience. Because like you said, everybody has strengths and weaknesses. So if somebody kind of came in with certain strengths that maybe um, I don't have, and it would be a good partnership, then I would consider it because I do, um, I kind of look at it as my firstborn, like my child, I want it to succeed. And if somebody could help it kind of be more well-rounded, then I would definitely consider it. Part of the reason I'm asking that is because I, I know this of you and I've asked these questions to you already through our work together. But I, I really, I want to demonstrate to the people listening that you don't have to be or strive to be the biggest, you know, and it's not always the best really when it, when, and it's not always the best for you. And I think that, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs have this internal struggle with, you know, wanting like to be the biggest, the best, the, the, the most famous in their vertical, whatever it is. But there are things that come along with that, that aren't always so great and glamorous. And to your point, if, if you were in that spot right now, you wouldn't be able to live the life that you want to live at the moment. And there's something to be said about that. And that choice that you made when you quit your job to do this, mm -hmm. a lot of that had to do with giving yourself the life that you wanted. hundred percent. I mean, I um, didn't want to travel. I'd worked in consulting jobs where I'd done a ton of traveling. And so I probably missed out on opportunities when I was starting out, not going to trade shows and different things, especially when gluten-free was a hot item. But I had a newborn at home. I didn't want to leave and be traveling around. So, I mean, it's the choices I made and I'm happy I made them. Um, but yeah, every business you've got choices. and um, So yeah, priorities. But, you know, and I just, I say that because I urge people who are listening, who are starting out and even people who are kind of down the path already to really listen to yourself and what it 
is that you want, right? From your business, because you can have a great brand and a great product and a very successful one that is providing for your family without running yourself into the ground. For sure. Well, I also think you need to know your personality. It was through that kind of process of looking into investors and different things. Like I'm a risk adverse person. I don't like taking huge risks. Like, yes, I quit my job to start my business, but I don't want to have to like put a second mortgage on our house or do something that's kind of crazy that's um, totally out there. So you have to know your personality. Some people love that and they thrive on that and they just have no fear and they know they're going to be successful and they don't look back. I'm a little more cautious. So I feel like you have to know who you are and kind of work with it and not fight it. Um, Well, I think, and I think that's so important to know who you are. And mm -hmm. I think when you, and especially as a business owner and entrepreneur, when you know who you are, you get so much more out of what it is that you're doing, right? Yeah, no, definitely. What do your kids think of what you do? Yeah, you know, they're very, very proud. It's cute. I mean, sometimes my son just asked me the other day, are you the boss? (laughs) Um, it was so cute, but you know, my daughter loves giving people granola when they come over and, um, they're very proud by it. And I hopefully am being a good role model for them. And especially, um, since my mom was a stay at home mom and that's an amazing thing too, but just to be able to show kind of a different perspective too. that. Um, so, I mean, cause they see you running your own business and you are the boss, right? Yeah, no, they are. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I have great life balance and sometimes they're like, why are you working? <laughs> and like, they didn't have school on MLK day and I still had to work. Um, I obviously worked less, but they were like, well, why are you working? I'm like, well, I still have to work today. <laughs> you know what? Something that we didn't talk about, which I think is important also to talk about, especially because this is your own and it has been grown by you. Talk about your team. And, and I, I mean, how do you produce this product and who's involved and how did you, you get to where you are in that realm today? So, yeah, I work with an amazing contract manufacturer. I originally, when I started 12 years ago, I worked at Zingerman's, which is an amazing bakery when holiday season to kind of gain some hands-on baking experience. Um, Cause as I mentioned, I have an engineering background. I always felt like it was important to work in the industry. And through that, I kind of realized that maybe owning my own manufacturing facility would be a little challenging for me based on um, my experience and everything like that. So I found a contract manufacturer. I used to actually drive to Chicago, make my granola, drive back and forth. Um, Eventually driving in snowstorms, that became kind of unrealistic. So I ended up switching to a contract manufacturer and I've been kind of producing products at a contract manufacturer ever since. And now I'm actually um, an investor and part owner of the facility where it's made and they're incredible. So I work with them. And then I also have um, Linda, who I've worked with for probably 11 years, Um, an incredible person. I actually kind of met her through her sister and she's kind of done everything. She started off um, just kind of wanting some stuff to do. She did demos um, and then she's kind of just grown and she kind of has done like everything in the company and she's just so grateful for help for her help and been working with her for 11 years. I feel like it's so important to people you work with. And then Gina, she kind of manages our shipping and receiving. Um, and she's been with us for probably like eight years. So, um, and then we just brought on her friend to help with shipping and receiving maybe about six, eight months ago, Judy. So we're just really, really lucky to, um, work with such amazing people that I trust and that I just really care about as people. And so I'm really blessed for those relationships. Well, and so I, I wanted you to kind of go through that because I also wanted people to see that you can do this without having this massive amount of, you know, 
this massive team, which you can, and you have, and you know, and, and absolutely. And you're not the first food brand that I've spoken to here on Dear Founder, where, you know, I do see them on shelves nationwide and they're like, oh no, no, no. But we have like a team of four. And, you know, I think there's often a misconception, right? When you have a brand that is sold in thousands of grocery stores, you know, across the country, that there's this giant team behind them. And that's not always the case. And I think it's really important to share that, especially for people starting out, um, that you can get creative and find creative solutions to help with, you know, this, the, the people and the personnel portion of your business, right? Mm-hmm. No, definitely. All right. So I like to kind of wrap up with everyone by asking for three tips that you would give any founder entrepreneur who's starting out. What would what would you tell them? What would you say to them now? Um, that's a great question. I think tip number one is make sure you do something you love because you're going to be thinking about it and doing it all the time. So you want to do something that you're passionate about. Um, I think number two is to um, not be afraid of making mistakes and failures because I remember I once spoke to um, somebody and he said, when you start off, you're going to make a lot of small mistakes. And when you get bigger, you're going to make less mistakes, but they're going to be bigger mistakes, um, if that makes sense. And so I feel like you just have to know that you're going to kind of learn as you go. And I think the third tip is to just network and connect with people. The more people you can talk to and kind of learn their experiences and their stories will just be so helpful on your journey and just trying to kind of build a network around you. Jessica Mandel of Jessica's Natural Foods, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for your time, for your wisdom. I think that anyone listening could learn something and take away something from this interview. And I'm so lucky to call you my friend as well as just someone who I'm interviewing here and your founder. So thank you for your support and thank you for being here. Well, thank you so much. And I feel the same way about you. So thanks again. Of course. Jessica's story is an amazing one. I told you. She shared so many great tips with us today, leaving us with so many great takeaways. So here they are. Number one, persistence pays off. Number two, you cannot argue with quality and taste. Number three, Trial is key when it comes to a food product. Number four, having a small business allows flexibility. You can have a family and you can work. When it's your own, you are able to make these decisions for yourself. Number five, when looking for a partner or a possible investor long-term, you want to look for someone who complements your skill set. Number six, it's okay to make the choices that work for you and your priorities. Listen to yourself and what you want from your business. You don't always have to be the biggest and the best. Number seven, know who you are. You get so much out of what it is that you're doing when you know who you are. Number eight, you can have a successful business with a national distribution and also have a small lean team. Number nine, make sure that you do something you love. You'll be thinking about it and doing it all the time. Number 10, Don't be afraid of making mistakes or of failing. And number 11, network with people. Their stories and their tips will help you along your journey. 
I cannot thank you enough for being here and for joining us today for another episode of Dear Founder. Make sure that you're following at Lindsay Pinchuk and at Dear Founder on Instagram. You can also go to lindsaypinchuk.com slash freebie to download some of my tips, tools, and resources for starting a business and for managing the social media beast. Don't forget, make sure you join the Dear Founder Facebook community for more discussions to help propel your success. I go live there regularly to share lessons and to answer your questions. Plus, that's where I put all of my info about any upcoming workshops or classes. We have some amazing guests coming up this month and into March. So please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or follow us wherever it is that you listen. If you know someone who wants to start their own business like Jessica or who started a business or who has an amazing idea for a business, text them this episode or post it on your Instagram. Make sure to tag me. I'll reshare some of those as a way to say thank you. I'll be back next week with another episode of Dear Founder. Dear Founder.